Just pray. Jesus, we do thank you that you are the real thing. We pray that you'll be with us now. Give us ears to hear and give me the words to say, Lord. Amen. Well, thank you very much for asking me to come and speak. It's a pleasure. I've always loved these letters to the churches at the beginning of Revelation, partly, I think, because it's the bit of Revelation I understand more than the rest. But I've always enjoyed them, so it's nice to share this letter to Philadelphia with you. And just to say, of course, it's not Philadelphia in America. It's Philadelphia in Turkey. Now, I split split the talk into three sections. The first is a bit of a general introduction. The second is actually to go through the verses, so if you like to follow in your Bibles, please do. And then finally, how do we apply this to ourselves as individuals and to you as the church in Broadfield? First of all, when Kevin and Fran Lewis left St Mary's, they actually wrote us a letter in a similar vein to those at the beginning of Revelation. They'd worked at St Mary's for four years and they knew us pretty well. And they wrote accordingly. They wrote about St Mary's strengths and they wrote about the things that we needed to work on in God. And it was a great encouragement and uplifting, but also a challenge. And the same is true of these letters. The church at Philadelphia was the youngest church that's written to in Revelation. And it is also the one that received no blame at all. And so in that sense, it's the one that gives us the real thing. It gets the greatest praise, and it deserved it. It was a great city, Philadelphia, and a faithful church. It stood erect when others fell. The city was a Greek Christian city set amongst non-believers and was the last bastion of Asian Christianity. And if any of you have been to Izmir or Ephesus or Kusadasi in modern Turkey today on holiday, and you find certainly Kusadasi in many holiday magazines, uh, you've been near Philadelphia. That's where it is. Today, it still has a Christian bishop and about a 1,000 Christians. And it is actually one of only three of the churches that are mentioned, the seven in Revelation, that's still standing and not in ruins. So you can see that the good foundations it had where it had no blame and had praise has stood well right through the times till today. Now, it's incredible how the history of Philadelphia is written into this letter. Uh, it never ceases to amaze me, the detail that is actually in the Bible. I think we can take it too much for granted, or I certainly can. And the history of Philadelphia is actually written into this letter. Philadelphia was a city that experienced a lot of earthquakes, and it had left its mark. Now, I do know something about earthquakes because when I was in Papua New Guinea, we had earthquakes pretty well all the time. We were actually on the end of that earthquake fault that caused all the trouble recently in New Zealand. And I used to keep everything 
in the middle of tables and things. I'll, I never kept anything on the edge in case there was an earthquake and, and it fell off. And finally, I still find myself here putting things in the middle, not on the edge. And when we had earthquakes, if they were sudden ones, I coped okay. Because you sort of thought, oh, this is an earthquake, and you're getting your head around it, and then it's gone. And that was okay. The earthquakes I really struggle with is the ones that went on and on and on. I can remember in bed one night, one just would not seem to stop. And I, it sort of, well, it panics you. And so they were the, the sort of earthquakes that you really didn't want, the ones that just wouldn't seem to stop. Poor Philadelphia had tremors that went on for years. And they had ever-recurring minor shocks which led to panic, and I can understand that panic, especially if they went on for years rather than minutes, which minded. The people, therefore, had moved out of the city and lived in huts on the edge so that they wouldn't experience too much of the earthquakes, the effect of the earthquakes. So if you look at verse 12, they would really value the part of verse 12 that says, and we shall go out no more. It gives them the security they longed for. And here's one of the aspects of the real thing, that Christ gives us security, total security. Secondly, the city was founded as a missionary city to Greek culture and language, particularly to Lydia and Phrygia. So it was a missionary city right from the beginning and was successful and peaceful. Now in this letter, it's being given that role again, a missionary church, a missionary city, to go out and carry, but this time, the message of the love of Jesus. And what a message that is, the love of Jesus. And there again is the real thing, this amazing love of Jesus. So it was given that purpose, that mission, go out and spread the love of Jesus. And thirdly, it had changed its name many times in gratitude to the things that had happened to it. And so again in verse 12, it knew what it was to change its name, to receive a new name. So I hope you can see from that that the history is written right within the fabric of this letter. Now let's just go through the different verses and look at the key points. I've just picked out some of them. First of all, verse 7. Here, the risen Christ is called by three great titles. And again, these are part of the real thing. First of all, holy. And we struggle, with, if you're like me, we struggle with that word. But holy means God is different from human beings. And thank goodness he is, and so is Jesus. And we can only start to be holy in God. We can try as hard as we like, and again, if you're like me, you know this so well, but we can't do it. And we can only begin to be holy in God. So the first great title that the risen Christ is given is holy. Secondly, true. And this means real or genuine. In Jesus is real life, and here again is the real thing. Real life and a true reality of God. 
I wonder as you walk the streets of Broadfield and go about your life, do you really believe that Jesus is the real thing? I struggle with it. I see other ways of life and I think, hmm, that seems to be more real than what I've got. But the fact is, if only we will draw on Jesus, he is the real thing. And the other great title is authority. Jesus has the final authority. When we look at this world and the state it's in, isn't that amazing? I am so glad that Jesus has the final authority, rather than some of the things we might think when we look at the news and look around, has the final authority. Jesus has it, and through him we are admitted to God. Thank you, Jesus. That's incredible. Then verse 8, we have an open door. And this is linked with the missionary opportunity that Philadelphia had to take the gospel out. And it makes me laugh. What's the reward of taking the gospel out and working for Christ? Well, sorry, folks, it's not to put your feet up. It's to do more. And we are called in Christ to work for him and to go on working for him. Often in the Bible, things have two meanings. And here the open door can also mean the door of prayer. We have open access to God through prayer. I wish I appreciated that more. Some people don't believe that, but we do believe that, and we believe it's in the Bible, and we have open access to God through prayer. Verse 9, and this again is incredible. All the promises made to Israel, all those promises in the Old Testament, have now been inherited by Christians. So us Christians, we've inherited all those promises, and there are so many. Some people go through the Bible, don't they, and highlight the promises that God's made to us. And they were originally for the Jews, for Israel, but now we've inherited them as Christians, and that's great. And everybody will kneel before Christ, not just the Jews. Everybody will kneel before Christ. And that, again, in this world where Christ seems to have been pushed out is an encouragement, isn't it? that everybody will one day kneel before Christ. And then verse 10. The Philadelphians had little strength and small resources. Is that familiar? Little strength and small resources. But they are faithful. And this is their strength in Christ. They are strong in Christ because they're faithful. Whatever else they don't have. And because they're faithful, they will endure. And the incredible thing is we have such an example of this in the real thing, Christ. Because he's our example, he's our inspiration, and he's sympathetic towards us. Sometimes people give us this God, this Jesus, who's got a big stick, don't they? But God has so much sympathy for us, more than we can understand. And nothing, whatever anybody says... Nothing can separate us from Christ. Verse 11. Now this has two sides to it. It's a warning to those who don't heed it. But it's also a comfort to those who are oppressed. And we do see this in the Bible. It's often saying different things to people in different situations. So if those that won't heed it, it's a warning. Yes, it is. But to those who are oppressed, it's a comfort. 
And we do have to be aware, however loving God is, that if we don't do what he asks us to do, he'll have to ask somebody else. So that's verse 11. Now verse 12 has promises to the faithful and they're put across in pictures that are vivid and real to the people of Philadelphia. And again, it's amazing how the Bible is so relevant. You know, when people say the Bible's not relevant, it was so relevant to these people. The pictures would have been. So here we have a pillar. And the pillar is great and an honoured support of the church. So what does that mean? It means that faithful Christians, then and now, are built into the very fabric of the church of God. And that's an amazing thing. It means that we're secure in Jesus. It means we belong to him. It means that we're citizens of God's kingdom and that we have a new name. And those are all amazing things. And then finally, in verse 13, it says, Hear. Hear what the Spirit is saying. If you're like me, you can hear all sorts of things, and in church, all sorts of Christian things, and you don't really take it in. You might agree with it, but you think, yeah, fine, whatever. Here, we're being encouraged to hear and react and respond, and we need to do that through the Spirit. And you'll find that that phrase is at the end of each letter. Somebody said to me once after I'd spoken, well, you spoke, but I wonder if they heard. And I need to say that very much to myself as well. So that's the letter. Now, what about applying that to us? Well, I've picked out a few things that I thought were vital for us. And that's us as individuals but also you as the church in Broadfield. So first of all, God gives us the security we long for. Every human being wants security. God is the one that gives that ultimate security. And again, that is such a challenge to me because when I see things, someone offered me this, um, you know, this fraud of your identity uh, that can happen, and they wanted you know me to have this um, take something out to cover my um, identity, and all the time we're trying to get security, and um, it's impossible in this world, but we can get it in God. So that was my first application to us: that total security is in God. We needn't fear anything. We needn't fear our fr identity being taken. We needn't fear anything in God. And secondly, you know, we're encouraged as Christians to be holy and we might work hard at it and try. But the fact is we can only do it in Christ. He's the only one that can do it with us. We can't do it ourselves. And I know that all so well. Jesus gives us real life and access to God. Do we believe that? As you're in Broadfield, out there, in the shops, at your work, do you really believe that Jesus gives you real life and wants to give those around you real life and access to God? Or are other things really a bit more real life? So a challenge there. When I was in Papua New Guinea, I was called a missionary. 
And it did sometimes make me laugh because just because I'd got on a plane and gone and people had supported me and I was in another country, I was a missionary. But I really know that I was as much a missionary at Thomas Bennett as I was in Papua New Guinea. And I'm as much a missionary anywhere I go to as I was in Papua New Guinea. And it's the same for you. We are all missionaries together. And we're called to be missionaries. And where are we called to be missionaries? Well, at home. And that can be the hardest place sometimes, can't it? Not so bad for me, because I'm the only one in my home. But uh, for those of you who've got lots of people and, and children and things, it can be the hardest place. Also, work. We're called to be missionaries in work. Not necessarily saying loads, but just the way that we live our life and then saying things when the opportunity comes. And in our leisure, our leisure activities. Well, whatever we do, we're called to be missionaries and we're called to take out that message of the love of Jesus as the Philadelphian church were. So that's our message, the love of Jesus. There's so many different things going around. You know, the Pope's visit, so many people have said so many things to me. What is this all about? It's the love of Jesus is the thing that we want to really get across and it's a privilege for us to share that but it's also a responsibility and it's not always easy is it if we're honest and as I said earlier um, there's no ease in the Christian life if you think well I'll do it for so long and then perhaps I'll pack up or I'll have a rest or whatever um, we used to say in Papua New Guinea there's no retirement in Christianity uh, we're there we're in the long haul till the end and, and I think it's incredible. Even people that just really sit in a chair, they can pray, and that is so important. I know, again, when I was in Papua New Guinea, some of my most faithful prayers were some people that couldn't do much else, didn't get to church because they were so ill, but they did pray for me, and that was such a strength. So there's no retirement in Christ. We're called to work for him during the life that he gives us. And then that issue of prayer, I think that's important for us. Not everybody believes they can go straight to God. We have such a privilege that we can. The door is open, as we see in the Philadelphian church, and we can pray to God. And one of the things I try to do, I'm not very successful, but is actually pray as I go, not sitting down for half an hour in the morning because I'm hopeless, but as I go through my life, just lifting things to God and praying through to God that way. I mean, you've got to work out how you do it, but the door is open for us to pray, and that is amazing. We need to keep faithful to God whatever we go through, and that can be hard when we have hard times, can't it? But he will always be with us. He won't leave us. It does sometimes feel that he's left us, but he won't. And there's a suggestion that perhaps our biggest um, sort of threat to being faithful to God is materialism. And I think that's true for some people, but for different people it's different things. Sometimes the, you know, the, the money, the things of this world, the recession, these sort of things do get in the way of us being faithful to God. But for other people it's other things. We need to work closely with God and complete the task. And when we fall, and we will. These people that say as Christians we're never going to fall, I really don't believe that's scriptural, and it's certainly not my experience. We will fall. But the amazing thing is that Christ picks us up. One of the things that saddened me during my Christian life is to see people fall and give up. They feel that they can't go on with Christ, they can't come to church. But that surely goes right against the message of Christianity. The message is forgiveness, 
and that we will fall and that we are sinners, but that Christ will forgive us. And so Christ will pick us up and help us to carry on. And then I suppose the biggest thought that came to me, um, particularly for you, Broadfield, in this interregnum, from this message to the Philadelphians, but this now is to you at Broadford, is to be faithful to God in the interregnum. Um, I don't know how many interregnums I've lived through, quite a few now in the Anglican Church, and it's not easy, is it? It's not easy. We like to have someone up here, up the front, doing all the stuff, and we can depend on and look to them and all that sort of thing. It seems to be part of our nature, really. And suddenly that person's gone. They're taken from us and we're left. And, and I was saying to someone the other day, the number of times at St Mary's, we've all been there, the person's gone, now we carry on, then the next one comes and then they go and, and so it goes on. But God calls us to be faithful in this interregnum, you to be faithful to God. And also to reach out to those around you. Just because Simon's gone, we don't stop reaching out. We still go on. And wouldn't it be wonderful if before the next man, woman, man, woman, comes... Uh, this church had grown and was bigger than when Simon left it. That would be great. So stay faithful to God in the interregnum. I believe this letter says that to you. And go on reaching out. I know you have been, and that's great. And go on reaching out and telling people of the love of Jesus. There's the real thing, the message. And certainly I'll be praying for you that you will do that. And certainly we are praying at St Mary's and I am as an individual that you will get the right person then to carry you through. So it's a lovely letter. It's the one without the blame and with the praise. And obviously that's the church we want to be. And so I pray for you in the interregnum particularly that you'll stay faithful and you'll share the love of Jesus.